Welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm Nabil Biagio in Washington, working on this program via remote. Here are some of the top stories making news this Tuesday, January 10th, 2023. Sudanese groups say negotiations to end the country's political deadlock look promising. The resolutions of this conference shall represent opinions of a wider representation of all Sudanese. And this process would be characterized by inclusivity that will also express the opinions of its stakeholders. And the UN is appealing for more help for families in Ethiopia. We will have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. Signatories to Sudan's framework agreement have continued with deliberations amidst opposition from some groups. Officials at the talks say the process is inclusive and the outcome of which could end three years of political deadlock and usher in a new transitional period. Michael Atit reports for VOA from Khartoum. Various Sudanese political forces who were signatories to the December Framework Agreement continue to discuss issues related to army and security reforms, the Juba Peace Agreement, transitional justice, and dismantling elements of former President Omar al-Bashir's government. Addressing reporters in Khartoum Monday, the spokesman for the civilian coalition, Khalid Omar Yusuf, said the groups have been divided into different committees to draft resolutions on reforms. He said the deliberations will be followed by amendments to the final political agreement to govern Sudan for a two-year transitional period. The resolutions of this conference shall represent opinions of a wider representation of all Sudanese. And this process would be characterized by inclusivity that will also express the opinions of its stakeholders. Some members of the resistance committees and a popular pro-democracy group say they welcome the process. Mohideen Adam, a member of the resistance committee in West Kordofan State, says despite criticism of talks from other groups, he believes the process will end the military's domination of political space in the country. <laughs> As long as this agreement is going to address some of our demands, we will keep on supporting it. Up to this moment, we don't see any other better option than this agreement. Therefore, we will continue to support it until we achieve our objectives. Some political parties say the process is not inclusive. At a media debate last night, broadcast on Al Hadas TV channel, Mustafa Tambur, a member of a Sudanese democratic bloc, threatened to mobilize people against the process. We have many options, and one of the immediate options is our popular grassroots to oppose the framework, which has been born dead since the day one. The African Union, the Intergovernmental Authority on Development and the UN, known as the Trilateral Mechanism, have been mediating in Sudan to try to break the ongoing political deadlock. Ambassador Mohamed Biliej, who represents the African Union in Sudan, urged the parties to use this opportunity to resolve their differences. 
This final pace of political process is an opportunity for all Sudanese to exchange opinions and ideas about issues facing this country. It is also an opportunity to reach to a common vision that will be addressed during the remaining transitional period. At the launch of the final phase of the political process on Sunday, Sudanese Army Chief General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan repeated the military's vow to move the country to a civilian-run government. Al-Burhan orchestrated the October 2021 military coup and overthrew the transitional civilian-led government of former Prime Minister Abdel Hamdok, citing a lack of attention to alleged threats. Michael Atid for VOA News, Khartoum. Court in Kenya has charged four suspects over the murder of prominent LGBTQ activist Edwin Chiloba, whose mutilated body was found on a roadside last week, stuffed in a metal trunk. Kenyan police say they're investigating a possible love triangle as motive for the killing. Rights activists suspect the killing was one in a series of hate crimes in Kenya, where homosexuality is illegal. Juma Majanga reports from Nairobi. Among the five suspects arraigned in court in Eldoret Monday was Jackton Odiambu, a freelance photographer said to be a longtime friend of the 25-year-old Chiloba, who was a leading activist in Kenya's LGBTQ community. Police say they are investigating a possible love triangle as motive for the killing. The arraignment comes just a day after police arrested three more suspects for their alleged role in disposing of the victim's remains. Chiloba's family told VOA they are satisfied with the investigation process so far, even as they demand justice for their kin. Gaudencia Chirchir is Chiloba's cousin and the family spokesperson. We want the culprit or the murderers of my brother to be charged according to the Kenyan law. Chiloba's body was discovered about 40 kilometers outside the Rift Valley town of Eldoret after it was reported dumped from a moving car. The killing has drawn widespread condemnation, including from the UN Human Rights Chief Volker Tak and the African Union's Human Rights Commissioner Solomon Ayele Daso. Rights activists say members of the LGBTQ community are increasingly being targeted with discrimination and attacks. Fahe Kerubo is an LGBTQ campaigner at the Reproductive Health Network in Kenya. The incident of uh, Eden is not a past. This comes after Sheila Lumumba has been killed and other that I can remember. And uh, we've also seen a lot of increased homophobia, especially on hand. We've seen a lot of increased uh, violations of incidences among the queer community or that is directed towards the LGBT community. Under a British colonial era law, homosexuality is illegal in Kenya. Juma Majanga for VOA News, Nairobi. Sub-Saharan Africa has the world's highest rate of women entrepreneurship. That's according to the 2021 MasterCard Index of Women Entrepreneurs. But studies also show that women face widespread discrimination in business and battle to access the finance they need to grow their enterprises. 
Pamela Koch Hamilton is the executive director of the International Trade Center. She says while these barriers need to be eliminated, there are ways women can succeed and benefit from new business and trade opportunities on the continent. She spoke to VOA's Heidi Adams. The first advantage I would say, and this has occurred actually on turbocharge in the digital world, COVID has literally transformed how trade happens. It's almost tripled the amount of digital trade. So digitalization actually is now the greatest advantage that women traders have. One, because it's online and therefore it lowers their costs. Their overhead costs, costs for physical space, for storage, they can literally operate from anywhere. On the disadvantage side globally, what we found is one, access to finance. It is a recurring theme and it's something that we have to address. So what we do is we try to work with women to help them access finance, to put in place the kinds of mechanisms. One thing we found is most collateral that's requested is 125% of their business. It's 125%. Nobody can afford that. The second thing is that they also are unable to meet some of the requirements for paperwork because so many of them are informal and they're small and they're not in the industries that require that kind of paperwork. So we want to try to also see how we can work with them to build up their capacity to get financing. What is your advice to women about what they can do in their businesses to increase their chances of gaining access to finance and investment? And here I mean advice that women can immediately apply to their right now. (laughs) Right. Okay, so let me just give you a kind of outline of what we've done in the area of access to finance. Just uh, in 2019, we launched a She Trades Invest Care Fund with Bamboo Capital. And the idea was how do we link um, the, the, the lack of access to finance to capital um, providers and, and kind of create a space where women can get access to whether it's venture capital or other forms of capital. We also work with women to prepare them to make the pitch because most don't have that, right? you know what I mean? So we, we work with them through this to help them make it. And then we also work with financial institutions on the other side to also help them to become more gender, you know, balanced. Yes, right. because there are things that, you know, most financial institutions have a traditional approach. Mm-hmm. Bring the collateral bring the piece of paper with the land most women are not on that piece of paper you know and this is a reality so what we try to do is also work with the banking institutions to say look how do you facilitate a gender lens approach to what you do so for women the advice i'd give is the first thing focus on the basics get your paperwork together if you're going to go to people to ask them to invest You kind of have to have a good argument. The other thing is to ensure that you are able to engage with partners and with organizations that can help you. So reach out, you know, whether it's to your own business support organization, whether it's to us um, through the She Trade Invest program. It's online. You can go on SheTrades.com. You will find all of that. And, And just ensure that you understand that there's opening there. There are people looking out for you and that there's opportunity. That's Pamela Koch Hamilton, Executive Director of the International Trade Center. She was speaking with my colleague Katie Adams.
You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Coming up, the UN says some Ethiopian families in Tigray and Afar need urgent help. Find out why after this break. What do you think? People speak out on important questions. The question today... What are you thankful for? I'm thankful for life. The fact that I am able to live a full life and be able to do the kind of things that I want to do. I'm very thankful for my life, my children, and my job. My job helps me to get money. I'm very, very thankful for that. I thank Allah for my life and for my parents. I'm grateful because I've attained at least education. Uh, the education is going to help me get a job and get other opportunities in life. I'm thankful for my family, my friends, my husband, my children, and all the lovely friends of mine who have been helpful to me. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. The UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs has warned that malnutrition rates are growing in Ethiopia's Tigray and Afar regions despite increased amounts of aid to the embattled areas. In its latest report, officials said access to provide aid remains difficult in some areas. Maya Messiker has this report from Addis Ababa. The United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs in Ethiopia says from mid-November through December, more than 3,000 trucks of food, health and shelter aid were sent to Tigray region. In its latest report Thursday, the agency said in the last week of December alone, it assisted 368,000 people in Tigray with food aid, some of which was also sent by air. But the biweekly report said malnutrition rates were alarmingly high, with one-third of children and two-thirds of pregnant and lactating women screened in December found to be acutely malnourished. Despite the Ethiopian government allowing increasing amounts of aid to Tigray since a November peace deal, the UN report said some areas were still out of reach. It said organizations working with the UN had assisted about 60% of 5.4 million people targeted for help in Tigray since October. A UN spokesperson in Ethiopia was not immediately available to comment. Dabeba Zode, spokesman for Ethiopia's National Disaster and Risk Management Commission, says they have reached areas other aid groups cannot, including border areas near Eritrea, where they have given food to about 81,000 people. Dabeba says food assistance has been given to more than 8 million people in need of support in the northern part of the country, including Tigray, Amhara and Afar. The November peace deal between Ethiopia's federal government and the Tigray People's Liberation Front ended two years of war and lifted aid and services blockades to the region. Ethiopia in December restored water, power and telecommunications in several towns in the region, as well as commercial flights to the capital, Megale. While fighting has calmed in Tigray, clashes are being reported in Ethiopia's southern Oromia region. Ethiopia's Oromo and Amhara ethnic groups blame each other for allegedly deadly attacks since November. The UN reports that aid access to Oromia region was difficult, with ongoing conflict displacing more people. It said as of December 30, more than 14,000 people fleeing conflict from Oromia arrived in Amhara region. Maya Misaker for VOA News, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Yeah! 
China's new foreign minister, King Kang, is starting his term with a week-long trip to five African countries, including Ethiopia, Gabon, Angola, Benin and Egypt. The new foreign minister is following in the footsteps of his predecessors, who for more than three decades started each year with a trip to Africa. VOA senior analyst Mohamed Shinawi discussed the objectives of China in Africa with Paul Nantulia, research associate at Africa Center for Strategic Studies. So as you correctly said, this is the 33rd year in a row that a foreign minister has visited five or six African countries as the first inaugural visit of every year. So one of the purposes of the visit is to underscore the stability of the China-Africa relationship and to also send a message that the relationship is very institutionalized. Then the second objective, uh, by looking at the choices of countries, China is trying to show that its policies are evenly balanced, covering North, South, Central, East and Southern Africa. And also Chingang is also going to be visiting the African Union headquarters. And this, of course, is extremely important in the context of the Forum for China-Africa Cooperation. That program is managed out of the African Union. So China is also sending a strong message that in addition to its bilateral relationship with individual African countries, uh, it is also engaging uh, the continent through multilateral uh, platforms, through the mechanism of the African Union. The third element, which is critically important, is the selection of countries also demonstrates a balance of the sorts of relationships that China pursues on the continent. That is the military dimension, countries like Egypt, which has a very strong military partnership with the People's Liberation Army. Other countries that have been selected include Angola, uh, which of course also has a very strong security relationship with China. Then, of course, there's also considerations like the Belt and Road Initiative that has been expanded into West Africa through a series of activities, as well as emphasizing the other elements of the, of the China-Africa relationship, which of course uh, include maritime safety and security, include construction, infrastructure development, and also training and capacity building of uh, African students and African government officials. So I think these are the sorts of issues that Ambassador Chin will be discussing with his African counterparts this week. In August of 2022, many African leaders reiterated their commitment to the position that Taiwan is an integral part of China. Some African governments have also supported parallel mechanisms created by China, like the Asian Infrastructure Development Bank and the One Belt, One Road Initiative, advancing China's efforts to create alternative international institutions while reshaping existing ones. How do you describe the political and economic gains for China out of its deep involvement in Africa. You can look at uh, Chinese engagement from uh, three phases. The first phase was the pre-independence stage where China actively supported African liberation movements and independence wars that were happening in different parts of the continent. And I think that experience and involvement of China has been able to establish the People's Republic of China as one of the preeminent supporters of African independence. So when we think about China's multifaceted engagements in Africa, we need to remember that there is a very strong political uh, foundation that was established uh, before independence. The second phase is the post-Cold War phase, which kind of saw a retreat, for lack of a better word, of uh, China from major engagements in Africa. This was a time when China was kind of re-evaluating itself. There were leadership changes from Mao Zedong to Deng Xiaoping. China was focusing on reform and opening up, and uh, of course, this was the end of the Cold War. So the relationships kind of 
uh, normalized. Then the current phase, which is the phase of the Forum for China-Africa Cooperation, where we have seen China-Africa relations really expand beyond what they had ever been before. The relationship is now highly multifaceted. It is highly institutionalized. And so when you look at the different uh, sectors of engagement, if we take it from the uh, inception of uh, the Forum for China-Africa Cooperation, which was 2000, and we look at what has happened now, there are quite a number of things that can be noted. One is China has basically overtaken all other Western countries to become the biggest uh, trading partner uh, of the African continent. So China is the number one trading partner of the African continent. Secondly, China is now the biggest investor in uh, or biggest financier and builder of African infrastructure. One out of every three major infrastructure projects is uh, financed by Chinese state-owned entities. And one out of every five major projects in Africa is being constructed by Chinese firms. This was not the case back in 2000. Secondly, uh, China is now the biggest destination for African students, hosting about 60,000 students a year before COVID. Uh, China is only second to France in terms of the number of students that choose to study in China. And uh, finally, China is now, uh, in addition to training more African government officials and leaders and professionals than any other industrialized country, China also has the largest number of uh, cultural institutions in Africa after Alliance Francaise. So we have seen that through the modality of the Forum for China-Africa Cooperation, the relationship has really, really expanded, has really taken off and has become highly institutionalized. So I think this will be a key takeaway and one of the very, very important considerations that any Chinese foreign minister would have to bear in mind uh, during a trip to the African continent. That's Paul Nantulia, Research Associate at Africa Center for Strategic Studies, is speaking with VOA Senior Analyst Mohammed Shinnawi. This is a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. The World Health Organization and Africa Center for Disease Control say we all can help fight the global pandemic by frequently washing our hands with soap and water or using hand sanitizers. For more information on protecting yourself and others, check with reliable sources such as the WHO and Africa Center for Disease Control. And remember to listen to VOA for the latest on COVID-19. That was a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. South Sudan in focus is now on WhatsApp. Send us a message on plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. Tell us what's happening in your area or give us your feedback on the stories you hear on South Sudan in focus. We look forward to hearing from you on WhatsApp. That number again, plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. And that's all we've prepared for you this Tuesday. Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. If you missed this broadcast, go to www.voaafrica.com forward slash South Sudan. We now leave you with Lomoreka Jazz Band and the song Salamia Sudan.
Listening to Lomoreka Jazz Band in the song Salam Ya Sudan. I'm your host, Nabil Biajo, in Washington. Thanks for taking the time to be with us.